morning. Let's stand and worship together. If you'd like to read from your hymnal, this first hymn is number 507. Would you bless our homes and families, source of life who calls us here in a world of stress and tension? Teach us love that conquers fear. Help us learn to love each other with a love that constant stays. Teach us when we face our troubles. Love's expressed in many ways. From the homes in which we're nurtured. Ciao. 
we thank you this morning for your presence we thank you father for another day of life in this great nation we pray father for your presence today hear our words of praise hear our prayers and be with us father we worship you and you alone in jesus name we pray amen well good morning from kid street as well well girls it's just us huh <laughs> um why are we um, having a holiday off of school this week. What's coming up? What holiday? Do you guys remember? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. What day is Thanksgiving? Do you know? Like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Yeah, Thursday, right? <laughs> okay. So um, what do you normally eat at Thanksgiving? Do you have something special that somebody normally cooks? We have turkey, but this uh, Thanksgiving we're having salmon. Ooh, instead of turkey, you're having salmon. That sounds good, yeah. I have some friends that don't like turkey, so they have Mexican or they have barbecue, you know. So it's up to you, right, how you celebrate it. Do you remember um, before the COVID restrictions, we used to have these every Sunday? Donuts, right? It was like the highlight of the morning after Sunday school, right? We'd get done with Kid Street. We'd go grab some donuts. This has a little bit to do with Thanksgiving. You wouldn't think so. But what do you notice about a donut? It's yummy. What do you see? It has sprinkles on it. What else? I can see through what? There's a hole there. Is there anything there in a donut? Yeah, there's nothing there. So sometimes when I was your age, even as an adult, sometimes I would concentrate on the things that I didn't have. My dad said I got a case of the I wants. I want this and I want that. How come I don't have this? And how come she has that and I don't have that, right? So there's a little rhyme that kind of goes with being thankful. And I've got a little coloring sheet for you so you can grab yourself one. There you go. And it goes like this. As you go through life, make this your goal. Look at the donut and not at the hole. So that means be thankful for what you have. You saw the sprinkles, right? And the icing. It's yummy, right? So you could look at that donut and say, well, how come there's nothing there? I want that stuff right there, right? But instead, we should look at what we do have. Look at that big old stack of goodies, right? So on Thanksgiving, we count our blessings. We think about the good things that we have instead of thinking about the things that we might not have, right? So let's uh, bow and then we'll thank God from whom all blessings flow. Dear Lord, we thank you for the things that you have blessed us with, our family, our friends, our health, our church, our faith, 
we uh, ask your help to remember those good things instead of concentrating on the things that we don't have. Help us trust you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue to stand and sing and worship God together. You know, I can really hear you singing this morning. It sounds really good.
pray with me, please? Father, let us take the message that we're going to hear today and put it to work in our daily lives. Look after those who aren't here with us today and help us see what we have to be thankful for this week. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. this morning in your New Testament, Romans chapter 13 and Ephesians chapter 4, Romans chapter 13 and Ephesians chapter 4. I still have to work to make sure I know where my mask is. Anybody? You lose your mask? You get into the business and you realize you don't have your mask, so you go back to your car and get it every day. The irony is we'll get it about the time it's over. Romans 13 and Ephesians 4. Continuing in our series, God's Word, The Path to Life. Today talking about relationships. Interestingly enough, we're talking this week on the news. That's all we're talking about, how we're going to do Thanksgiving in the pandemic and everybody's going to do Zoom and eat turkey in front of a camera and all those kinds of things because even though we're high tech and sophisticated and intellectually capable, we still need people. We still have to work on those relationships. Surprise, the Bible is always relevant no matter where it is or what we are or how smart we are. Romans 13 and Ephesians chapter 4. As always, we begin with prayer. Pray for our nation, all sorts of stuff, you know. Ask that God will work through our leaders and in our leaders to help them to work together. Ask God to work, to help us to work together. It seems as if we can be divided on almost everything under the sun. Pray that we could move beyond that. 
I'll give you a few moments of prayer where you're seated, and I'll close, and then we'll look at these passages together. Would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your presence and for this gift that you've given us, this gift of life, this gift of privilege in this time and place, for the earthly blessings we enjoy so much. We thank you. This season of Thanksgiving is a profound one for us because we are reminded of how much we have, not only on this earth, in this great nation with our freedoms and privileges and wealth, but in the life that is to come. We thank you, Father, for the life that we have in Jesus, for your Holy Spirit that lives within us, for forgiveness of sins and salvation, for the promise of life after this life. We thank you. Father, we ask this morning you'd be with us. Open our hearts to your word and to your spirit. Help us to learn Biblical truth, your truth, about relationships, how to value them, how to nurture them, how to make them stronger. We pray, Father, that you would work with those whose lives are difficult, for those who struggle. You know the situations and the details. We ask that you would work with them, Father, give them encouragement and hope. Be with those parents that are struggling with homeschooling and virtual schooling and things they've never done before. Use teachers, work in children's lives. Help us, Father. We ask for safety and protection for our first responders, our soldiers, their families. For each of us, we ask for protection from this COVID-19. We pray, Father, that the medications coming online soon would would save lives and end this pandemic, that it could go all over the world and lives could be saved. Lord, speak to us now. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we talk about relationships, and everybody knows, but isn't it interesting, people say things that show the discomfiture that they have with relationships because we know, everybody knows that relationships are important and yet everybody knows that for as important as they are, sometimes we're not very good at them. I was talking to one of the daycare daddies. He's a hunter and builds houses and things, so I have a lot to talk to him about. And he was standing there and made some kind of comment about how I talked to all the little kids. And I said, this is my favorite part of the day. I get to talk to the kids and talk to the parents, and they go on about their business. And then he says with a wink in his eye, and you don't have to talk to them very long, do you? They just say, hey, Kevin, and go on about their way, and then you can go on and not worry about it. And we laughed, as men do, when we say dumb things, because what he was really saying was, he would hate my job because he doesn't like to talk to people that much. He's a nice guy, but he doesn't like to talk to people. His wife tells me he doesn't talk much at home. He's a good guy, but doesn't say much. Likes to work by himself because, and he wouldn't say this, relationships are hard. I understood, though, and I'm not being critical of him. Relationships are hard, aren't they? Among your spouses and homes and kids, 
your grandkids, the people you work with, your neighbor with a barking dog, they're always hard, aren't they? Even good people who love each other sometimes struggle in relationships. Amazingly enough, the scriptures acknowledge that. Over and again, the biblical authors address the issue of relationships. So we're going to talk about that today because God wants us to understand that he calls us to value our relationships above all else. Relationships are more important than stuffs. You know that. And it's it's so much easier to take care of your stuff than of your relationships. uh, It's been several years ago. It's 2011 that my dad died. My dad had one of those extreme events. He was in the waiting room of a hospital. He had just driven mom to an appointment there. And dad had a massive coronary and was immediately dead. They resuscitated him anyway. And he was on life support for about 10 days. In that 10-day period, then the hospital said they did it for us. The family gathered and we sat and we ate bad food and read old magazines and talked amongst ourselves. And we were together, all of us, and this is of course before the pandemic, so there was 20 or 25 of us in the waiting room. And you've done this, some of you, and you know what I'm talking about. And as I look back at that, I realize that, you know, I really don't remember very much about the medical end of it. Now, after the end of 10 days, we unplugged the machine and my dad died in the presence of family in just a couple of hours. But I look back at that and I really don't remember much about how tired I was. I don't remember anything about some of the physical details that we had to do. Surprisingly, I remember nothing about the medical situation. I do not remember talking to a single nurse or doctor, even though I'm sure we did over and over and over. I don't remember any of that. The only thing I remember about that situation is the time we were together as family and then a time in that two-hour period after dad was unplugged and he died. And that's all I remember. Relationships. All those other things. I don't remember eating the bad food at the cafeteria at the hospital, and I'm sure it was bad. It always is. I don't remember the annoying people that were there with their kids that weren't as cute as my grandkids, even though I'm sure they were there. You know, none of those things that annoy you, I can't remember any of that. I just remember those relationships of that week. A parable for me, it reminded me that all the things of this life really aren't very important. The food, the clothing, the intellectual achievements, the facts, all those kinds of things, they're all important, sure. But really, they're not very important, are they? Because the things that you remember are the relationships. Surprisingly, or maybe not so surprisingly, God understands this. He created us this way. And he made specific effort to teach us how to value these relationships. Because it's easy to forget. Jobs are important. Your possessions are important. Your home is important. Your political standing, your standing in the neighborhood, and all those things, those are all important. But really, they're not. Follow along with me. In Romans chapter 13, I'll read verses 8 through 10, where Paul talked about the importance of relationships. Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. 
And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. So Paul's talking to Christians in the church about how to live the Christian life, how to honor God, how to please the Father, how to reflect your faith in ways that other people understand, how to share Jesus in a way that makes people want to know about Jesus. All those very Christian and very religious and very spiritual things. And in the middle of that, isn't it interesting, he says, if you're going to owe anything to, owe to anyone, owe them love. Look at it as a debt. I don't know about you, but my daddy literally beat into me this understanding that you pay your debts always. If you have a debt, that's your goal. Pay off that debt. No questions asked. If you have a debt, it is a priority in your life. My dad didn't come up with that on his own. That is a centuries-old understanding of debt. And this is exactly what Paul was saying. Your debt to all people is to love them. You pay that debt, don't you? No questions asked. You can't get out of it. You can't wiggle out of it. You can't walk away. Paul said, understand this. Your debt as Christian is to love other people. Even more important than financial debts. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Interestingly enough, Paul was talking to people who understand what the Ten Commandments were. You remember the Ten Commandments. We look at them as rules for living and life and religious rules, and they're really not that at all. If you look at them, they're rules for relationships. The first four of the Ten Commandments are your relationship with God. Honor God. Worship God. Be careful how you speak of God. No other gods before you. Relationship issues with God. The fifth one is your relationship with your parents. Honor your father and your mother. No rules there. Honor them. That's a key relationship, isn't it? And the last five commandments, don't murder, don't lie, don't cover your neighbor's possessions, or guess what? Relationship teachings. You see, back in the Old Testament when they didn't talk about relationships, God spoke through Moses and gave them what? Guidance in their relationships. These were God's people. They didn't know anything about being God's people. So God taught them, if you want to be my people, this is what you do. You value your relationships. You value your relationship with God. And you value your relationship with others. That's what being a person of God is. See, sometimes we get the idea that being a person of God means you've got to be real religious. And you have to talk a certain way. And you have to pray in public and those kinds of things. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But God says, if you're going to follow me and you're going to represent me, love people. Value those relationships. Understand that your relationships are so important. On screen is this idea, our relationships with others are not only given to us by God as a source of joy, these relationships are also the primary means by which we experience and express our faith in Jesus. So your life is enriched by your relationships. God puts people in your life to love you, and you love them back. And we say we want God to bless us. If there are people in your life that love you, you are blessed. If there are people in your life that love you, and you love them in return, you are blessed. Doesn't matter how many they are. Doesn't matter how much they make. Doesn't matter who they are, really. If you can count in your life people who love you, and you love them back, you are blessed. How much you have in the bank, the kind of car you drive, how nice your house is, 
that is irrelevant data that makes almost no difference at all in the value and quality of your life. So you are blessed by your relationships and the way by which you work out your faith in Jesus is to nurture those relationships. Jesus himself said, when questioned, what's the most important law? He said, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, your relationship with God. And what was the other one? And love your neighbor as yourself. Love people. So Jesus himself summed up all the Old Testament and said, listen, love God and love people. Not the passing emotion where you're looking for the feels, but this idea that you love people, that you're committed to their well-being, and you nurture that relationship. When you do those things, the blessings of God come your way. Interestingly enough, because of that, God calls us to nurture our relationships with others. If you value a relationship, you will nurture it. In other words, you pay attention to people that you truly love. If you love someone, you're going to live in a way that doesn't hurt them. You're going to keep in touch with them and those kinds of things. Sometimes people forget that. It's been, I was trying to think this week, I counseled a couple that was having marital difficulties. And it was a long time ago. It's been almost 35 years. I didn't know this couple. She called me on the phone. She was very professional on the phone. Having some problems with her husband. I don't know if they could come in and talk to me. I said, sure. So they came in and talked to me. She was a nice looking professional woman. Well-dressed. He was a typical, not very professional looking guy. Old jeans, old t-shirt, nice guy, seemed nice enough. Kind of dipped his head when he talked to me. A little bit embarrassed about the whole situation. They were having some problems. I said, okay, what's the nature of the problems? So it took about five seconds for the one to blurt out, his girlfriend's the problem. And so that was the problem. He had a girlfriend, an adulterous relationship. So we talked about that for a little while. And so when in those kind of situations, you, you try to keep the emotions under control, which was not easy because... She came in ready for a fight, and he had already been beaten down by everything, his own actions included. And so we went through this routine, and I asked them some questions, just gotten some information about them. And so I asked them both, do you want to save this marriage? And, and the woman said, well, yes, we do want to save this marriage. She was very affirmative. And, and I asked him, looked him in the eye, do you want to save this marriage? And he looked at her, yeah. And that's about all he said. Some of the dynamics of the relationship were coming to my mind, obviously. And we finally start, started to decide, okay, we worked at the schedule. They were going to come and see me for the next six weeks and talk about issues and see if there were underlying issues and those kinds of things. And I said, all right, and this is just before we left. I said, then what we're going to do, we're going to come with some ground rules. So before you leave today, we want to have three or four ground rules that will enable you to begin working on your marriage. They both said they wanted to save the marriage. They both said they were willing to do whatever it takes to save the marriage, etc., etc. There weren't any children that they were a very young couple. I said, all right, the first one, and I looked at the man, and the first rule is you have to let go of your girlfriend. He said, what? And I said, yeah, you can't work on your marriage with your wife and have a girlfriend at the same time. He goes, are you kidding me? I said, no. And she said, yeah, he's telling you. And, you know, she, and I had to calm her down. And like I said, she came ready for a fight. And so I said, now you have to agree. You get one more phone call with your girlfriend. I said, you're going to call her. You're not going to see her anymore. You're going to call her and you're going to break up with her and you're going to tell her you're not going to see her anymore. Okay? And he looked at me and he said, I can't do that. I said, what? He said, I can't do that. I said, why not? She goes, 
Well, I care for her. I'm going to hurt her feelings if I do that. The wife did not respond well, as you can imagine. And she got up, ran out of the office, slammed my door. A picture fell off the wall, actually. I never saw her again. And I asked him, are you sure you want to save this marriage? He goes, maybe not. And he left. I never saw either one of them again. You see, what he said in that instance when he said he couldn't break up with his girl, girlfriend was two things. Number one, he valued the relationship with his girlfriend. And he did not value his relationship with his wife. Funny now, it wasn't funny that day for her or for him. You see, if you value a relationship, you will work to save that relationship. If you don't value that relationship, you will not work to save it. The man didn't value his relationship with his wife. He wouldn't work to save it, wouldn't do anything. So he lost that relationship. That's life, isn't it? And that's the way it is with us. If we value a relationship, we will work to keep it. If we don't value a relationship, we'll either actively work to destroy it or we'll just ignore it. I live in Oric, which is nowhere, but it's close to Excelsior Springs, which is still nowhere, but it's where I grew up. And I have a whole lot of people I went to high school with in Excelsior Springs. It would seem I would have a lot of friends in Excelsior Springs. But you know, I don't. I have a lot of acquaintances in Excelsior Springs. I don't value the relationships with them very well. I don't know them. I haven't talked to them in 40 years. And I'm not going to get together with them and those kinds of things. I don't value those relationships. Nothing negative about them. I just, they're just not very important to me. But there are a few people in my life that I get together with a lot. I value those relationships. When you value a relationship, you nurture that relationship. Not only is that common sense, it's biblical teaching. Now, if you would, turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I'll read verses 31 and 32. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. Paul, again, talking about how to live a Christian life. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So Paul, again, teaching how to live the Christian life. And he gives a lot of spiritual teachings earlier and do's and don'ts and things like that. And then again, to finish out a section on how to live as Christian, he talks about relationships, doesn't he? Because that's where your faith is best expressed and experienced. So on screen are some things we can get from this passage. God's path for relationships, first of all, is put away the poison. Look at verse 31 again. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, be put away from you. This is the poison that he says, put away from it. Now, the significant thing about all these things is, these are things that you control. Here's a, a teaching I stumbled onto Decades ago, literally, the scriptures will never teach you to do something that you cannot do. God doesn't expect you to do anything that is beyond your capabilities. Either you can do it naturally or he will do it with, he will help you do it. So when the scriptures say this is what you need to be doing, this is something that God only expects you to do. He knows you can do it. 
Well, God, I can't do that. Yes, you can. Well, God, I'm not in the mood. There you go. If God teaches you to do something, you can do it. So, put away the poison. Bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, malicious behavior. In other words, when you do this, it's because you've chosen to do this. Now, that doesn't mean you thought it through. Normally, you haven't. But what it means is you've allowed your emotions to determine how you act. God calls us to be above that sort of thing. Don't believe me? Get on Facebook, Twitter, watch the news, watch the gossip shows. It's all this, people allowing their emotions to determine their behavior. Christians are called to control their behavior. When you get mad, stop talking. When you have to say something, choose your words carefully. When someone's hurt you, work on letting go of that emotion. Something I have found is if you're mad at someone and you stay mad at someone, you can not see them for 10 years. And when you see them, it all comes back, doesn't it? And it bubbles up and you'll shoot your mouth off. And after 10 years, you're going to be nice and you're not nice at all. You know what that means? You're normal. And you're not being very Christian. We've all done it. So put away the poison. If you want to honor God and allow your faith to affect your life, Look in your relationships and the poison that is there. Are you angry at someone? Has someone hurt you? Does someone really deserve a piece of your mind? It's yes for all of us. Doesn't matter. Choose to act in a way that honors God. You see, you're in charge of this. No one makes you act the way you do. Well, they push my buttons. Yes, but that doesn't mean you have to respond that way. You choose. Well, I wasn't in a very good mood. I understand. You choose how to act. You choose to allow your emotion to control you. You choose to speak when you don't necessarily have to speak. The next one, and this really is a teaching, choose nice. Look at verse 32. Instead, be kind to one another. I can't do that. Yes, you can. I'm in a bad mood. God says, irrelevant. They hurt me. God says, rise above this. Choose to be gracious and kind. That really is a Christian behavior, being nice. Now, you can be nice and not be Christian. That's true. But one of the things that God's people need to do is practice being nice and gracious. You do not have to attack people the first time you meet them. In fact, I don't know that you ever have to attack anybody. If you want to have a conversation with him about a flaw or a confrontation, that's acceptable. But you know what? And this is something that God says. Even when you're angry, you are responsible for your behavior. Be angry and yet do not sin, so says Scripture. So it's all right for you to be angry with someone, to have a confrontation with someone, and even confront them. That's all right. Do it without sin. In other words, put away the poison. Be gracious even when you differ. I will never forget when one of my friends, a guy named Paul Rutledge, he's dead now. He was just a great guy. He had a confrontation with a, a guy in our group. And the guy in our group made some racist comments about a particular group of people that Paul had served as missionary. And Paul ripped that guy up. He did not raise his voice. He did not call him names. He said nothing about his person. But what he did was attack his racism in his unchristian love, and I will never forget that. He was gracious and kind, 
and took care of business. I still can't do that because I tend to shoot my mouth off. So my response is typically to not say very much at all. And that I keep waiting for the ability to speak clearly and graciously to come, and it hasn't come yet. And some of you are waiting for the same thing, I know. So what we need to do is allow scriptures to challenge us and allow God to help us. One other thing, remember the reason. Look at verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. This is why God expects you to be gracious and kind. This is why God knows you can do this. Because God died for you on the cross in His Son Jesus. That gives you the ability and the reason to act like a Christian. You see, we're not Christians because we're nice people. We're not Christian because we're good people. We're Christian because the Holy Spirit got through our thick skulls, convicted us of our sin, and gave us a gift of faith, and we responded. That's why we're Christian. And because of that process where God has changed us in Jesus, God expects us to demonstrate that faith in the way we relate to other people. So, think of the jerk in your life. How are you going to treat him or her? You may be eating with them this week. I don't know. You know, there are jerks in my larger family. Man. How am I going to treat them? How am I going to talk to them? My neighbors? People down the street? The person at the gas station? How am I going to treat them? Here's the deal. As Christian, you've heard these passages of Scripture. This is God speaking to you. It's time for you to be responsible for the way you relate to other people. Your relationships with these people are important. doesn't mean you like these people necessarily. But God calls you to be gracious to them. The dirty little secret of life is the person that you are unhappy with or have a problem with may be really struggling. And they may really need someone to love them. And maybe that's your turn. God uses us to reach other people. Nate's going to come and lead us in a closing hymn of invitation. As he makes his way up here, let's go to that last screen. Read this with me. Now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Since God chose you to be the holy people whom he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And the most important piece of clothing you must wear is love. See, no one dresses you. You dress yourself. So Paul uses that understanding. You put on the clothing that reflects Jesus. Love people and love God. Would you stand with me? Respond to this gospel call if you would. Would you bless our homes and families? Source of life who calls us here. In a world of stress and tension, teach us love that conquers fear. Help us learn to love each other with a love that constant stays. 
Teach us when we face our troubles. Love's expressed in many ways. Thank you, Nate. By the way, you might remember Brian Bates and his wife in prayer. She was taken to the emergency room last night. She had some reactions to surgery. So be in prayer for them. Her name is Camilla Bates. And uh, just be in prayer for them. That's why it's just mating me today. So thank you, Nate, for pulling double duty. Pray with me. Father, look after us this week. Let us be tolerant, patient, loving, and respectful to each and every person in our lives. Look out for those who weren't here today. And bless us with a great thanksgiving. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.